Our sermon text comes from chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Joshua, and you can find it on page 105 in the Bibles that are sitting there. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The sin of Achan. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. 
And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. This is the word of the Lord. This week on a phone call, I was reminded of that famous scene from the movie The Lion King. And I went back and I watched it on YouTube. If you'd seen me this week, you could have found me weeping in a coffee shop over this short clip. But it's that, that scene uh, when Rafiki, the mandrel, you know, the, the colorful monkey character who's kind of like the sage, uh, finds the grown Simba. Uh, and leads him on this uh, chase through the forest into this reflecting pool. And in that moment, Simba, he looks down and he sees his father speaking to him. Do you remember this? And his father says to him, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are. And so you have forgotten me. He says... You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. That scene, it speaks to me on a really deep level. Maybe it does you as well. It speaks to me especially when I come to a passage like the one that we just read. This fall we're preaching a series that's called Believing the Promise as we go through the book of Joshua. And this story, the story of Achan and his sin, is a really powerful story. It's a story that shakes you. On one hand, we see in this story the, the devastating truth of what it means for us to reject the call of our Father. What it means for us to live apart from him. And on the other hand, we are pointed to this glorious promise. This promise that is offered to all of us through Jesus Christ. And so as we look at Achan today, we have this opportunity to be reminded that we indeed, we are more than what we've become. We've got a chance to respond to God's call this morning, to remember who we are to return to our rightful place in his kingdom. And so today, as we try to understand this story, I want us to do that by asking three questions. The first question I want us to ask is, what exactly did Achan do? What was 
Achan's sin? What did Achan do here? And the second thing is, how should we feel about this? And then the third question I want us to ask is, what does it mean for us? So what did Achan do? How should we feel about this? And what does it mean for us? Okay, let's dive in. What, what did Achan do? Well, here's what's happening in the passage. If you were with us last week, you remember we studied the fall of the city of Jericho. It was the first great battle that the people of Israel uh, went into, and it was a complete and total victory. They took this great city without having a single loss. But here in chapter 7, they come to a much smaller city, the city of Ai, and 36 of their people are killed, and they run away, humiliated and defeated. But not only that, as you, as you heard Melissa reading it, they are devastated. These people are, are ruined psychologically and emotionally because they went in, when they went into that battle, they went in with all of Canaan, this entire nation, afraid of them. Their hearts were melting because of the power of God. But now, all of a sudden, our text tells us that the Israelites' hearts were melting. It says they became like water after this happened because now they were vulnerable. They, they weren't invincible anymore. They were uncertain. They were fearful. And so Joshua, we read that he cries out to God. He's confused. And he's, he's asking, why, God? Why have you gone back on your promises? He complains to God. And God responds pretty frankly. He tells him to get up. And he tells him that the reason for their failure is not because of God's unfaithfulness, but because of their unfaithfulness. He says in verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I made, that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And then God gives them this instruction. He says, gather everybody up and cast lots until we, you single out the culprit. And they do. The next morning, they do, and they narrow it down first by tribe then by clan, then by household. Then finally they, they find one man, Achan. And in that moment he admits what he's done and they sentence him and his entire family to death. They kill them. It says they put up a stone monument and they named the place the Valley of Achor. And then they go on and they rout, they defeat this small city of Ai. Another total, complete victory for the people of Israel. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty intense. To our modern ears, uh, the stuff with Achan, especially the stuff with his family, seems pretty harsh. Um, and you know what? It is harsh. <laughs> but maybe not in the way we suppose. Maybe not in the way we would initially understand it. Who here remembers a, uh, Rahab? Raise your hands. Do you remember Rahab? Okay, we, we, I hope so. We just talked about her last week and a couple weeks before that. Rahab uh, is, uh, was a prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute who was living in the city of Jericho. 
And a couple of weeks ago, we read about how one of the main reasons that God sent spies into Jericho before their conquest was because God knew that she was there. God knew that there was one unlikely believer left to redeem. That in that city, there was someone left who belonged amongst the people of Israel. She didn't worship the pagan gods of Canaan, but in her heart, she believed in Yahweh. She was one of the people of God. And so we find, we read about it last week, right? That when they went into Jericho, they saved her and her entire household. Chapter 6, it says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day. Rahab, she even goes on to become an ancestor to King David, and ultimately to Jesus himself. And so we have this story of an entire household rescued by God. This story that shows us that God redeems his people, no matter how unlikely they may seem, from every tongue and tribe and nation. If you belong to him, he will have you. And here, we have the opposite story. We find a man who on the outside bore the name Israelite, but who in fact did not belong to God. In his heart, he worshipped another God. And maybe you say, well, how do you know that? (laughs) The passage doesn't really tell us much about Achan's life. How do you know that he worshipped another God? Well, it's because of the crime that he committed. Before they went into Jericho, there was a command in chapter 6. Joshua instructed the people very clearly. He said, uh, the words of God, but you... Keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. He says, don't take those things. You're going to curse the whole nation. You're going to bring trouble upon it. And he says, and the silver and all the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron, those are holy to the Lord, and they should go into the treasury of the Lord. God told the people to stay away from that stuff because Israel's mission is unique in history. This mission that they're on is not like any other kind of conquest that you can read about in in history books. Their task was to claim the land that God had promised to his people. It wasn't about expanding their territory. It wasn't about political power. It was about bringing judgment on a people who had rejected God and building a new kingdom where God would reign, where he would be worshipped. And specifically, he says that all those precious materials, the gold and the silver, the things that Achan took, those were going to be used to build his temple. So this thing, it was a capital offense. And he knew it. But Achan, he wasn't controlled by a desire to glorify God, was he? He wasn't controlled by a love 
for a God who had redeemed his family and brought them out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness and fed them every day. But instead, he was controlled by the desires, by the cravings of his own heart. And so instead of giving glory to God, he gives glory to these objects. And he chose to make them more important than anything else or anyone else in his entire life. He made it more important than his family's lives. He made it more important than the the words of God. And so it may seem like Achan just broke one rule. But in breaking that one rule, he was exposing his heart. In breaking that one rule, he was violating not just the 10th commandment, right? You shall not covet. He coveted. He desired things that didn't belong to him. Not just the 8th commandment. You should not steal. Of course, he stole. Scripture in this passage, it also says that he lied. But he broke the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. And when he was caught, he didn't repent. Now, when he was exposed, when his crime was found out, he did admit it. He acknowledged what he did. But man, he he did not repent. You got to think about this process, right? How much it took to whittle it down to him. Uh, Hebrew, in our Hebrew, uh, in verse 14, let me read that to you. It says, when God's describing the process, how you're going to find Achan, he says, and the tribe of the Lord, uh, you should call them... And they should come nearby clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come nearby households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. And that's a fine translation. But that Hebrew word that gets repeated, he who is taken, he who the Lord takes, it's usually translated he who gets caught. He who is caught shall be burned with fire. And that is really what happened. Achan had coveted, he had stolen, but most importantly, he had exposed himself as a worshiper of another god. And just like Rahab's faith eternally connects her to the people of God, just like Rahab's faith eternally connects her entire household to God's people, Achan's sin eternally separates him and his entire household and marks him for judgment. So, that's what he did. Now, how should we feel about it? How should we feel about this event? That's kind of a complicated question, right? How should we feel about it? Maybe before we can answer that, we need to ask, how do we feel about it? I think our gut reaction is to see it and say, this is a little extreme. Isn't this, this is a little bit too harsh. Surely, God, he can't be so vengeful. Sure, yeah, it was a capital crime. They, they laid it out. But, but is this really what Achan deserved? I think that reaction exposes our flawed sense of justice. 
That reaction exposes our flawed view of justice. Most people, we, we tend to view the world as uh, from the perspective of humanity's basic goodness, right? We believe that despite what our theology may be, that, that we deserve favor, that we deserve blessing. I think most people on the street would, would tell you that, that they're good. You say, well, maybe I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but you know, if you put me on the, the scale you know, between Hitler and, and Mother Teresa, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere in the upper half. <laughs> you know, I'm, in the, I'm in the top 50%. And we believe that. We say, well, if there is a God, then he should show me some kind of kindness. He should show me some kind of favor as a result. But that is not the story that scripture tells us at all. The story scripture tells us is of a world that God created and he called it good. And in that world, when God first created it, it was occupied by people who lived in perfect harmony with him, who lived without shame, in freedom that they were able to cultivate and subdue the, this wild new creation in God's presence, unhindered, with absolute blessing, until we ruined it. Until we heard the voice of the serpent saying, did God really say, no, God is holding out on you. God doesn't really love you. You need to take matters into your own hands. And when sin entered the world, what happened? It brought death. It brought destruction. It brought devastation. It brought evil. It brought with it shame. It brought depression. It brought anxiety. It brought fear. It brought violence. It brought addiction. It brought terror. It brought abuse. We did that. And we still do it every day. Our sin, it is a complete violation of what God meant for us to be. Talk about being more than what we have become. And that kind of sin... It doesn't deserve a, just a slap on the wrist. Let me put it this way. A few years back, I had a chance to go visit um, a developing nation, visiting a missionary who was doing some really exciting work over there. Um, but in this country we were visiting, we got to visit what you find in a lot of other countries, uh, a shanty town. And in that place... Um, the living conditions were horrible, especially by American standards. They, they had uh, unbearably bad health care. There was rampant disease and death from things other places in the world have no problem with. And one evening, uh, one of the guys who was with me on the trip, we were just kind of reflecting on our day, and he said to me, I, don't, I just don't know what to do with this. 
that this is more than I bargained for. I don't know how, I've never seen anything like this before, and I don't know how I'm supposed to go back to my life in Boston and know that there's a place like this on earth with so much destruction, with so much pain. What have I done to deserve my life? What have I done to deserve my relative comfort compared to these people? And I, I didn't have any answers for him. But as I, I sat there in that moment, I had this terrifying realization. Because it was one of the first times I ever had a vision of, of what we deserve. And I realized that, of course, those people in that country did not deserve worse than the rest of the world. Of course, their sin wasn't any worse. They didn't deserve worse health care and worse poverty and, and worse living conditions than the rest of the world. But, but what, what I realized in that moment was that as horrible as that situation was, what the world really deserves is actually much worse than even that. Because in that place, there's still hope. See, Achan's sin, like our sin, it's not small. It is dangerous. It is soul-destroying, and it has wrecked God's good world, and it has made it a horrifying place. And so here in chapter 7, we see sin getting what sin deserves complete annihilation the wages of sin is death now that's hard for me to say but I don't want to make this more palatable for you that's the temptation for me but we need to, to look at this. We need to let this scene burn into our minds lest we take God's commands lightly. Lest we think that our own sin is just something small. What could be the harm? Thomas Brooks, the old Puritan preacher, he said, those sins which we are apt to count as small have brought upon men the greatest wrath of God. As the eating of an apple, the gathering of a few sticks on the Sabbath day, and the touching of an ark. Oh, the dreadful wrath that these small sins have brought down upon the heads and hearts of men. The least sin is contrary to the law of God, the nature of God, the being of God, and the glory of God, and therefore... It is often punished severely by God. So how should we feel? We should feel afraid. We should be terrified. Because the truth is, we all bear guilt before the law of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. 
We have all turned aside. We have all lived lives like Achan. We have all let our cravings control us instead of God's commands, instead of his Holy Spirit. We have all let something other than God become the true object of our affections. So what does that mean for us? Well, one thing that has stood out to me this week as I've thought over this passage is this note at the end of chapter 7. In verse 26, it says, after all this happens, it says, they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Imagine that. A couple of chapters ago, we read a very similar account. Do you remember? After the people crossed through the Jordan, they built a memorial out of stones. They piled up stones in that place to remember forever God's faithfulness to finally bring them into the promised land. But here, at the end of this story, they do the same thing to remember the burning wrath of God against sin. Can you imagine that monument? What it would have been like over the years to walk by that pile of stones with your family. To remember what had happened to Achan. That his family was erased, wiped out. The message of that pile of rocks was this is what sin deserves. And that place, it says they called it the Valley of Achor. It means trouble. The valley of trouble. And I bet you that that was a very troubling place. That was a, a pile of stones that troubled people for generations. It was a pile of stones. It was a valley that came to represent judgment. Punishment. Fear. But do you know that the Valley of Achor, this isn't the last time we read about it in the Old Testament. Later on, hundreds of years in the future, as we read the story of the people of Israel, we find that they carry out this conquest. That they build a mighty nation with great kings. But over the years, they succumb to sin. They succumb to the very sin that Achan had, that they become worshipers of idols. And as a result, they get God's punishment. And hundreds of years in the future, the prophet Hosea is speaking to these people who have now lost their country. And here's what he says. God says that even though the nation of Israel has sinned so greatly, Behold, I will allure her 
and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. That is so powerful. When you understand this story, when you understand what that place meant, Hosea says there is a day coming when God will accomplish something no one could ever imagine. When God would turn this place of judgment into a place of hope. And that is exactly what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Think about this, the story of Achan. It's terrifying, right? Can you imagine what it would be like to be him on that morning, knowing that judgment is coming? And they narrow it down to your tribe. And then they narrow it down to your clan. And then it gets nearer and it gets to your household. And finally, you are singled out and you are standing before the judge. How terrifying would that be? But scripture tells us that that moment is coming. It's coming for every one of us. There is a promise that one day we will be forced to give an account for our lives. That there will be a moment when it won't be Joshua speaking to us, but it will be God himself who is going to say to you, tell me what you have done. In that moment, nothing will be hidden. But in that moment, when all our sin is on display, In that moment, in the valley of trouble, all who have turned to Christ, everyone who knows him as their Savior, will have no reason to fear. In Christ, the moment of judgment is the moment of hope. Think about the guilt. Think about the sin. Think about your own sin. Think about the people that you've hurt. Think about the worst desires of your heart. Think about the destruction and the misery that your sin has brought to God's good world. And think about those men and women in this story gathering the stones. (laughs) Ready to give you the punishment that you deserve. Think about that moment and now hear this. There is therefore No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the greatness of the cross. God is good, and that means that he has to be just. God is good, and that means he has to be righteous, that he cannot let the guilty go unpunished. But he loves you. He loves you with an unrelenting love. And he doesn't want you to suffer that fate. He wants you to be a part of his people forever. He loves his people so much that he took on flesh and he stood in our place. 
He took the punishment. He took the penalty that we all have coming on the cross. He turned the valley of Achor into the door of hope. And here's what that means for you. Here's what that means for you and me today. Right now, are you filled with shame? Right now, are you hiding sin? Are you fearing his judgment? Do you know that you are far from the Lord? Come to him. Expose it. Share it. Bring it into the light. Let's get rid of the sin that's in our midst. Turn from it and and turn to him. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the beauty of knowing Jesus as our Lord. We don't have to fear our sin being seen. Because when we confess our sin, that's the moment of hope. The moment of of judgment is the moment of hope. The place where we see our sin most vividly is the place we experience his grace and mercy most clearly. The valley of trouble, that is where the gospel becomes real to us. It's not where we receive God's wrath. But it's where we hear him say, I love you. Remember who you are. You are more than what you have become. You're mine. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I'm thankful for these tears. And I'm thankful for the good news. I pray that it would touch our hearts. Lord, would we remember that these aren't just words, that this isn't just theology, but this is a real moment that happened in history, and it is a real picture of what will happen to all who do not come to you in faith. But God, your mercy is so great. Lord, your mercy is so good. It's, It's not only that you forgive us our sins, but you give us a righteousness that can never be taken away. You make us whole. You make us new. You give us a security that we need never fear that you would ever cast us out. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody here in this room who may not know you today. I pray, God, that you would press upon their hearts the reality of who you are. That they would experience you, that they would feel you, that they would know that you are God. And that like Rahab, they would leave their kingdom behind and come and join yours. I pray for anybody in this room who has borne the name of Christian, but who has secretly lived with another God. I pray that today would be the last day of that. That they would come to you in repentance and true faith and know you as their Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.